Hi, everybody. Welcome to 2ZQ Hot Takes, where we discuss issues both big and small. I am your host, the very handsome Tim Kirk, and today I'll be talking about the beach. If you live in New York, you can either go to the shore in Jersey or the beach, which is geographic Long Island. There's a joke about an old man with a very bad cold who goes to the doctor. He tells the doctor he doesn't feel well. The doctor examines him and says, I'm sorry to tell you, you have something much more severe than a cold. You have pneumonia. It's, it's very serious. And the old man says, pneumonia, that sounds important. Can you spell that? The doctor says, certainly, P-N-E-U. And the old man says, P, what's with the P? I don't hear a P. The doctor says, the P is silent. The old man says, oh, like in water. The doctor says, there's no P in water. The old man says, I can see you never been to Coney Island. Coney Island is a residential and commercial neighborhood and entertainment area located on a peninsula in the southwestern part of the borough of Brooklyn in New York City. The neighborhood is bounded by Manhattan Beach to its east, Lower New York Bay to the south and west, and Gravesend to the north, and includes the subsections of Seagate to its west, Brighton Beach to its east. Coney Island was formerly the westernmost of the outer barrier islands on the southern shore of Long Island, but in the early 20th century it became a peninsula connected to the rest of Long Island by landfill. There are various conflicting reports about the name Coney Island's origins. The Rockaway Peninsula, commonly referred to as the Rockaways or Rockaway, is the name of a peninsula within the New York City borough of Queens on Long Island, New York. Beginning in the 2010s, it became one of the city's most quickly gentrifying areas. Breezy Point, Breezy Pert, or the Irish Riviera, is a neighborhood located on the western end of the Rockaway Peninsula. It is a private community. The peninsula is divided into nine neighborhoods, and it goes all the way from Breezy to Far Rockaway with some very nice neighborhoods like Bell Harbor in between. Bell Harbor had a few horrible plane crashes. I also have to mention Reese Park, named after the reformer Jacob Reese. And it has a long and storied history of everything from mass Portuguese man-of-war stingings to terrible pollution to drug busts to being sort of the unofficial gay beach of New York City. Gay! Notable residents have included Dr. Joyce Brothers, Bernie Madoff, Carl Icahn, Phil Oakes, and Patti Smith. But Coney Island and the Rockaways are peninsulas. The beach islands start with Long Beach Island, and I will confine the remainder of this podcast to Long Beach Island, Jones Island, and Fire Island. The Hamptons are something else. Although I will say that contrary to popular misconception, the Hamptons are not entirely populated by extremely wealthy people who live exclusively on the beach. Far from that. And that's for another podcast altogether. Atlantic Beach, Long Beach, Lido, and Point Lookout have a long, rich cultural history. In film and TV, Gary Marshall's The Flamingo Kid, Goodfellas, Boardwalk Empire, Law and Order, Royal Pains, The Sopranos, and The Blacklist are either shot or have been set in Atlantic Beach. It's funny. I knew two of the very large lifeguards in the movie The Flamingo Kid, who also happened to be real life lifeguards at Toby Beach on Jones Beach Island, and they were big lunks who really did wear pith helmets all the time back in the day. Atlantic Beach was frequented by New York City Mayor Jimmy Walker, Gene Arthur, and Tallulah Bankhead. Sir Paul McCartney's current wife lived there in the 80s. 
the Vanderbilts and Ethel Barrymore had houses in the village during the 20s. Leonard Stern, the billionaire of Hearts Mountain fame, lived there as well. So, the Vanderbilts, Bernie Madoff, Carl Icahn, Leonard Stern, and Nancy McCartney, who was no slouch either. That's a lot of money, and that's only as far out as Atlantic Beach, the city of Long Beach, also known as the city by the sea, or Civitas Ad Mare is their motto, has an elevation of zero feet. It means it's at sea level. Its first inhabitants were the Algonquin-speaking Rockaway Indians, who sold the area to English colonists in 1643. In 1837, the barge Mexico, carrying Irish immigrants to New York, ran ashore on New Year's Day. Long Beach was developed by a guy named William Reynolds, who also developed a lot of Coney Island, and it has a checkered history. In 1923, the Prohibition agents, known as Izzy and Moe, who were portrayed by Jackie Gleason and Art Carney in a TV movie of the same name, raided a hotel called the Nassau Hotel and arrested three men for bootlegging. In 1930, five Long Beach police officers were charged with offering a bribe to a U.S. Coast Guard officer to allow liquor to be landed. In November 15, 1939, Mayor Louis F. Edwards was fatally shot by a police officer in front of his home. Officer Alvin Dooley, a member of the police motorcycle squad and the mayor's own security detail, killed Edwards after losing his bid for PBA president to a candidate the mayor supported. Jackson Boulevard was later named Edwards Boulevard in honor of the late mayor. Sheesh. In the 1940s, Jose Ferrer, Zero Mostel, Mae West, and other famous actors performed in local theaters. That's a such bygone information. By the 40s and the 50s, Long Beach had become primarily a bedroom community for commuters to and from the city. It still attracted summer visitors into the 70s, but uh, the rundown boardwalk hotels were used primarily for temporary housing for welfare recipients and the elderly until a scandal around 1970 led to many of the homes losing their licenses. At that time, government agencies were also warehousing in these hotels many patients released from larger mental hospitals. They were supposed to be cared for in small-scale community centers. I remember coming home from college on weekends on the LIRR and would have to change trains at Valley Stream and being on the train, which was headed for Long Beach, with newly released outpatients who were going there. I got the impression that they were given a month's supply of whatever prescription they were on and enough to pay for an SRO. And that train ride was the crazy train for sure. And when I lived there, they were still some wandering about every day. The boardwalk had a small amusement park at the foot of Edwards Boulevard until the 1980s. In the late 1960s, the boardwalk and amusement park area were a magnet for youth from around Long Island until a police crackdown on drug trafficking ended that. It was terrible and dingy and beat up and unappealing. There were troublemakers and lowlifes, and it was pretty sketchy. Not a place most people would want to bring a date. It looked like something from an 80s slasher movie. It was a dump. And I used to run 10K at least six days a week through Long Beach and the boardwalk to either the East End or the West End. One of the reasons I have to avoid overexposure to the sun now is because I took no precautions then and caused sun damage to my face and chest. In October 2012, Hurricane Sandy struck Long Beach. The estimated cost of all the damage was over $250 million. The city was without power and running water for two weeks after the storm. The boardwalk was also destroyed. The city began rebuilding the boardwalk with grants from FEMA and the state of New York. A drawbridge, the Long Beach Bridge, connects it to Island Park. 
a small island community between Long Beach and the mainland of Long Island, where I also lived. Island Park is the hometown of former Senator Alphonse D'Amato, who was an alum of the same Catholic all-boys high school as I am. I have known him for over 30 years. I even knew his dad. Development on Long Beach began as a resort and was organized by a guy named Austin Corbin, who I would have to think that the road that goes to the Long Beach Bridge, Austin Boulevard, is named after. He was a builder from New York, and he formed a partnership with the Long Island Railroad to finance the New York and Long Beach Railroad Company, which laid tracks from Limbrook to Long Beach. The company also opened the 1,100-foot-long Long Beach Hotel, at the time the largest in the world. The railroad brought 300,000 visitors the first season and this is in 1880. By the next spring, tracks had been laid almost the full length of the Long Beach Island, but after repeated winter storm washouts, they were removed. Unlike most suburbs, Long Beach is a high-density community. Fewer than 40% of the homes are detached houses. I used to live in the canals on Barn Street. That was all on the east end on the bay side. The west end is home to small bungalows and houses close to one another along small, narrow streets. And because of the close proximity, there is a lot of honky-tonking there to this very day. Event-wise, the Long Beach Polar Bear Swim is the world's record holder for the largest polar bear swim. There is also the West End Electric Light Parade and Pride Fest, Pride on the Beach, and LGBT Parade. Gay! Mario Puzo's The Godfather was set partly in Long Beach, where the Corleone family compound was said to be and nearby Atlantic Beach, where Sonny Corleone lived. Sonny was murdered at the toll booths of the Jones Beach Causeway, also known as the Loop Parkway. Mafia members were widely known to live in Long Beach and neighboring Atlantic Beach throughout the mid-20th century. In the famous baptism scene, the Long Beach boardwalk can be seen out of a bedroom window as a Corleone soldier loads his machine gun. Notable residents of Long Beach included John Barrymore, Humphrey Bogart, Clara Bow. James Cagney, Cab Calloway, who I actually used to see with my oldest friend when we would go to Aqueduct Racetrack on Sunday mornings, and he was the effervescent Cab Calloway everybody thinks of from the Blues Brothers. I loved him. Vernon and Irene Castle, dance pioneers who introduced dances such as the tango and foxtrot to the U.S. in the 1910s, lived in Long Beach and operated a nightclub called Castles by the Sea. Painter and photographer Chuck Close, Billy Crystal, Jack Dempsey, Amy Fisher, also known as the Long Island Lolita. The one and only Ed Lauder. He was a very well-known charismatic character actor and comedian who played a vicious prison guard to Burt Reynolds in The Longest Yard. He was a favorite son of Long Beach. Rocky Graziano. Richard Jekyll, who starred in The Dirty Dozen. Derek Jeter. Joan Jett. Joan was known to rescue drowning kids from the surf. She really did. Billy Joel. Arnold Rothstein, the gangster. Rick Rubin. Ed Sherrick, the creator of ABC's Wide World of Sports, the great Florence Ziegfeld, and Rudolph Valentino lived in Long Beach for decades. Lido Beach is located between Long Beach and Point Lookout. Lido was named after a villa in Venice, Italy, and it was also the home of the legendary nightclub Malibu. You were often asked if you were booing it, meaning were you going to Malibu nightclub? The acts that played there are legion, and the shows were unforgettable to very many people. Among them were the Ramones, the Pixies, They Might Be Giants, Debbie Harry, Smashing Pumpkins, Dockin', Cowboy Junkies, Joe Jackson, 
Concrete Blonde, The Romantics, Hot Tuna, China Crisis, Culture Club, Billy Idol, Lou Reed, Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark, The Stray Cats, guys from Long Island, The Specials, Squeeze, The Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, Hall and & Oates, and U2. U2, played at that nightclub. Carol Burnett lived in Lido. Gregory Hines owned a weekend home. Steve Lawrence and Edie Gourmet lived in Lido Beach for many years, and they were beloved. Steve and Edie. Point Lookout is at the very end of Long Beach Island, and it is tiny. It's a hamlet, and it is a little sliver. Point Lookout's first known inhabitants were the Merrick Indians, a tribe of the Algonquins. During the fall and winter of 2018, with the beach undergoing construction, there was a legendary building called the Pavilion, and it was torn down, much to the disdain of longtime residents. It was heartbreaking to many people, even though it was beyond saving. Numerous New York Jets had homes in Point Lookout. Charles Atlas had a home in Point Lookout. Harry Chapin, Marlena Daytrick, Burl Ives, Big Daddy, and Sam the Snowman, Holly Jolly Christmas, had a home in Point Lookout. Oscar Wilde visited Point Lookout in 1882. So gay! Jones Beach is the state park of the U.S. state of New York. It is a jewel and an absolute marvel, an amazing place. The best public beach in the entire world by far. Nothing like it anywhere. The park is renowned for its beaches and furnishes one of the most popular summer recreational locations for the New York City metropolitan area. It is the most popular and heavily visited beach on the East Coast with an estimated 6 million visitors per year. Jones Beach is named after Major Thomas Jones, a major in the Queens County Militia in the 1600s, who established a whaling station on the outer beach near the site of the present park. The park was created during Robert Moses' administration as president of the Long Island State Park Commission as part of the development of parkways on Long Island. Moses' first public project, Jones Beach is free from housing developments and private clubs and instead is open to the general public. It is 12 feet above sea level. The primary buildings on Jones Beach are the two enormous bathhouses, west and east. The east is closed now. And the park's 188-foot water tower, which was built in 1930 to resemble the bell tower of St. Mark's Basilica in Venice. And it is marvelous. The park also includes the Jones Beach Boardwalk Bandshell, located near Parking Field 4, which offers live performances and free music, and it is very popular with folks who like to dance to big band and swing music. There is also a parking lot in, I think, Field 5, which always has seniors playing mahjong all day, and they never go anywhere near the sand. I love it. One half mile north of the beach, overlooking Zach's Bay, which you never want to go near during low tide, is the 15,200-seat Northwell Health at Jones Beach Theater. This outdoor amphitheater opened in 1952 and hosts numerous world-famous musicians during the summer months. I personally have seen everyone from Bob Dylan to Elvis Costello there, and I've seen it in good and bad weather, and it has been a riot. And if you are from Long Island and are of a certain age, you just might remember that South Pacific, The Sound of Music, and The King and I with Yul Brynner played there for a very long time. Guy Lombardo, Mr. New Year's Eve, played there. His recording of Auld Lang Syne is still the first song played on New Year's Eve after the ball drops. Before New York, New York. 
Also at Jones Beach, there's a par three pitch and putt. And since 2004, they've hosted the Beth Page Air Show during Memorial Day weekend, which is one of the largest in the U.S. And the one and only Field Six. Debbie Gibson used to go there all the time, and I think she had an informally reserved parking space. The Gay Beach is at Field Six. After the barbecues, the hipsters, the straight nudists, the lesbians, there is the Gay Beach. And it is nude. Field 6 has a pavilion with lockers and showers, so very needed after a day at Field 6. There was actually a Field 9, but that pavilion blew down in a hurricane in 1938. And I used to walk over the remnants of the concrete pavement that the pavilion was built on in the dunes. I would often come across a group of naked guys who used the flat surface with just a few inches of sand on it for comfort, of course, to sunbathe and to stand their boomboxes and their thermoses and their coolers upright for convenience sake. The dunes were and are known for their activity. I used to see gentlemen who I referred to as the California Raisins, men of a certain age who spend an enormous amount of their time naked at the beach on Field 6 and have endured more exposure to solar radiation than Cal-El ever needed to recharge his powers as Superman. These guys look like bald versions of Groot. As you walk down the stretch of sand, Field 6 is usually noted by piles of driftwood propped up and another piece of driftwood which is used as sort of like a flagpole for some tattered fabric to blow in the wind. And that's supposed to signify that the gay nude beach is there, as if seeing nude gay men wasn't enough in the first place. There is a grove close to the highway in the dunes where the boys enjoy each other's company, and men can be found cruising the well-worn paths in the dunes daily in the warmer months, all but naked. Jones Beach's West End is mostly unused and is sort of a nature preserve. It's accessible by car, bicycle, and in the summer by bus. A significant portion of visitors take the Long Island Railroad and then a bus to Jones Beach. Me, me, I do that all the time. Boaters often anchor on the bay side of Jones Beach, otherwise known as Zach's Bay, especially at night during a show, such as fireworks or just to see a free concert. Right past Jones Beach is Tow Bay Beach. I work there. Tow Bay stands for a town of Oyster Bay, and I had the weirdest experience. I spent a summer inside flipping burgers at the beach and sometimes in the marina on the bayside. The marina was next to a bunch of boats that some people lived on all summer, and I was never jealous of those spoiled rich bastards at all. No, not one bit. And I flipped burgers in a breeze block shed basically next to their luxury yachts, and it was chill. Yeah, chill. Except for the giant biting green flies. Wow, they hurt. One day, I looked out into the Great South Bay, and I noticed something odd in the water. It turned out to be a guy in a wetsuit paddling his surfboard across the entire Great South Bay, which is a substantial stretch of water, and has commercial marine and recreational marine boating traffic all day long. So this in and of itself was a bit of a feat. I don't know if it was daring, cavalier, or just crazy, but this guy comes out of the water, walks up to the food stand, takes a waterproof bag he had strapped to his wrist, opens it up, lights a cigarette, orders a burger, and tells me about his plans for the day. Now to stop for a second. A greenway alongside the Wontaw State Parkway allows bicycling, skating, or walking about four miles from Cedar Creek Park on Merrick Road into Jones Beach. I think of this, and I am reminded of when I used to ride my bike to Jones Beach on the greenway. It was a great ride going to the beach, and there was a bike parking lot that was monitored by lifeguards for your safety, which is great. But the ride home was murder on my chafed butt. I don't know how this guy was able to 
manage his way back to the other side of the bay after partying and paddling and surfing by paddling back. But I hope he made it. I never saw him again. A short distance after Toby Beach, the parkway enters the town of Babylon and the town of West Gilgo. And Gilgo is odd because it is hidden by trees, I think evergreens for noise and privacy, but it is a small cloistered community. I always thought it would feel desolate in the winter months. I did wind up working with someone who commuted to Garden City from Gilgo daily, and the extra time needed to travel was daunting, to me anyway. After the causeway, the Ocean Parkway enters another roundabout and connects to another beach and the local marina in Captree. And Captree has a lot of fishing charter boats. But the thing about the Ocean Parkway is a long straightaway that stretches out over 15 miles in total. There are drag races there every day and every night. I have an old friend with a few fast cars who used to drive down there and go up and down the strip looking for other guys to race, which he often did. It's a long stretch of mostly deserted highway, so when the coast is clear, these guys go for it. Crazy, but badass. Now here's where it gets really weird. The Long Island Serial Killer, also referred to as L-I-S-K or LISK, the Gilgo Beach Killer, or the Craigslist Ripper, is an unidentified suspected serial killer who is believed to have murdered 10 to 16 people over a period of nearly 20 years, mostly women associated with prostitution, and left their bodies in areas on the south shore of Long Island, New York. The victims were found along the Ocean Parkway, near the remote beach towns of Gilgo and Oak Beach in Suffolk County, and the area of Jones Beach State Park in Nassau County. There was still an ongoing investigation, and recently more evidence has turned up, and a press conference has been held to ask the public if they know anything about a belt buckle believed to have belonged to this guy. Ew. Ugh. Changing tax. In 1969, Robert Matherson bought what was then a waterfront barrier island restaurant and converted it into an enormously popular and controversial nightclub, the Oak Beach Inn. Over the years, the OBI, as it was informally known, was involved in many disputes with the local community over issues such as noise, parking, and traffic. When it closed, the inn's two-ton statues of whales and dolphins, which were commonly touched by clubgoers, I did it, were moved to Danford's on the Sound on Long Island. The original OBI was at One Oak Beach Road, Oak Beach, New York. It was also an exhausting experience to go there because of all the energy you spent partying and dancing and fooling around and drinking. It was a huge complex full of people who had to drive a good distance to go to and from there. There was a lot of police checkpoints, and I knew someone who died as a result of drunk driving. He was 19 and drove head-on into a raised drawbridge while intoxicated when he was on his way home from there. So I get that it was a nuisance, at the very least. However, one of the world's most popular intoxicating cocktails was invented at the Oak Beach Inn, the Long Island Iced Tea. Robert Rosebud Butt is credited with inventing the Long Island Iced Tea while working as a bartender at the original OBI in the 70s. If you've ever seen The Simpsons, Marge is with the family at a magic show, and while Marge is enjoying a Long Island iced tea for the first time, she's slurping away, and Lisa says, Mom, you're missing a great show! And Marge says, You don't know what I'm missing. Mm, I'd like to visit that Long Island place, if only it were real. Julie Kavner is a longtime resident of Shelter Island, a tiny island nestled in between the north and south forks of Long Island.
Fire Island is the large center island of the Outer Barrier Islands parallel to the south shore of Long Island, New York. The land area of Fire Island is 9.6 square miles. The island and its resort towns are accessible by boat, seaplane, and a number of ferries which depart from Patchogue, Bayshore, and Sayville. The origin of Fire Island's name is not certain. There are various claims to its name's origin. Duffy's Hotel on Fire Island was built in 1930. The Great Hurricane of 1938 devastated much of the island and made it appear undesirable to many. However, Duffy's Hotel remained relatively undamaged. According to legend, the gay population began to concentrate in Cherry Grove at Duffy's Hotel with Christopher Isherwood and W.H. Auden dressed as Dionysus and Ganymede and carried aloft on a gilded litter by a group of singing followers. The gay influence was continued into the 60s when male model John B. White developed the Fire Island Pines. The Pines currently has some of the most expensive property on the island and accounts for two-thirds of the island's swimming pools. In September 1964, Lyndon Johnson signed a bill creating Fire Island National Seashore. Now here's a story which is absolutely essential to gay and world culture. Absolutely. Will Kohler is one of America's best-known LGBT historians. He is also an accredited journalist and the owner of BackToStonewall.com. The story is the very gay and interesting history of the almost lost tradition of the Sunday tea dance. Now, the story goes on and it tells basically that the way people dance now is entirely traceable to the Sunday tea dances on Fire Island. From the late 1800s to well into the pre-World War I area in both America and England, tea service became the highlight of society life. As dance crazes swept both countries, tea dances became increasingly popular as places where single women and their gentlemen friends could meet. The single scene of the age. While tea dances enjoyed a revival in America after the Great War, World War I, the Great Depression of the 30s wiped them out. Tea consumption was in steady decline in America anyways, and by the 50s, tea was largely thought of as something your grandmother drinks. Also, nightlife was moving later and younger. Working men and women were too busy building the American dream to socialize, so it was left to their teenage children in the age of sock cops and the jukebox diner. Rock and roll was dark and dangerous, something you sneaked out for after dinner, not took part in before dinner. Gay people, of course, were still largely underground in the 50s, but it was in these discreet speakeasies that social, non-partnered dancing was evolving. It was illegal for men to dance with men or for women to dance with women. In the event of a raid, gay men and lesbian women would quickly change partners to mixed couples. Eventually, this led to everyone sort of dancing on their own. By the late 60s, gay men had established Cherry Grove and also the Pines as a summer resort of sorts. It was illegal at that time for bars to knowingly sell alcohol to homosexuals. And besides, many of these venues were not licensed as nightclubs or to sell alcohol. To avoid attracting attention, afternoon tea dances were promoted. Holding them in the afternoon also allowed those who needed to catch the last ferry back to the mainland to attend. The proscription against same-sex dancing was still in effect, and gay men were not allowed to dance together by law. So organizers were forced to institute no-touching rules. The only way it could happen was in a group. The line dance was born. 
Dances like the Holly Gully and the Madison allowed men to dance together as long as there was at least one woman involved. It became the rage in the pines. The dancing was monitored by someone on a ladder with a flashlight and a megaphone, and they would observe. If the men got too close, the light would be shined on them. The dance would be featured in the film Boys in the Band. In 1967, the tea dance went to seven days a week during season. During this time, raids by the Suffolk Police Department were a common occurrence on Fire Island. The men of the Pines were often rounded up like cattle and chained to poles in order for them to get their quota. Their identities were sometimes revealed in the local press. By the 1970s, after the Stonewall riots, disco music arrived, and again, the tea dance would evolve. It would now grow into a phenomenon that all of Fire Island would find their way to. Post-Stonewall, the tea dance moved to Greenwich Village, and a newly energized gay community around Christopher Street embraced the social dancing craze. While the Fire Island gays tended to be rich, upper-class preppies, the downtown gays of Christopher Street and the village were working class, and they tended to party at night. As in the straight community, tea dances gradually moved later until they became subsumed into the nightclub scene. A little bit of trivia from Will. Back in the day, no gay man worth his weight in poppers ever went to Sunday brunch before 2 p.m. and timed it that way as to hit the tea dance at 4. Part of this was because they were out at after-hours clubs, the bass or the meat rack, the night before until 6 or 7 in the morning. How about that? Another plane crash story. A memorial to TWA 800 is located on the eastern end at Smith Point County Park near where the airplane crashed at sea. And, of course, the deer of Fire Island. And do not interact with them. Aside from interfering with the order of their lives, they have ticks, Lyme disease, and all that. And by the way, drones are restricted. The landing, launching, or operating of a drone on National Park Service lands is prohibited. Just an FYI. Fire Island's population varies seasonally. There are few residents in winter months, with the population rising in the late spring to early fall. As of the census of 2000, there were 491 people. 138 households and 77 families residing in Fire Island. Except for emergency vehicles and parking at Robert Moses State Park in the far west, there are no cars allowed on Fire Island. I'm a bad gay, and I have three reasons for not being a Fire Island devotee, and I know this is sacrilege to gay people. However, one reason is seeing the same people I see in New York City all the time, so it gets repetitive. And also, being from Long Island, whenever I would go in my youth... I would see the very last people I ever wanted to see from Long Island. Usually people who drank too much. As soon as I got off the ferry, how did they know I was going to be there? Or were they just always there, leeching on to people? Because they would attach themselves and I would not shake them. So it became frustrating and I got a little turned off. That and the insane expense of staying there and partying with a lot of obligatory self-destructive substances. So I begged off. No regrets. After the Manhattan theater community began staying on Fire Island during the 20s, the island had numerous summer celebrity residents, including Gary Beach, Tony Award-winning actor, Mel Brooks, who, with Carl Reiner, wrote the 2,000-year-old man in their home on the beach, Barbara Corcoran, investor, TV personality, Tina Fey, creator of 30 Rock, Henry Fonda, John Lennon, Chris Noth, Leah Thompson, her husband, Howard Deutsch, Fanny Bryce, funny girl. Her house in Ocean Beach is home to the OB Youth Group, Ring Lardner Jr., Joseph Heller, and Herman Wook. 
Aside from truckloads of stereotypical fag jokes taking place on Fire Island throughout pop culture history, there is this. The song Come To Me has been described as the definitive Fire Island dance classic because of the legendary beach concert performance by then 16-year-old Franz Jolie before an oceanfront Fire Island audience of 5,000 on July 7, 1979, when Donna Summer canceled out the last minute. She stepped in as a replacement, and it became an overnight sensation. And the song Gay Messiah by Rufus Wainwright. The 2003 album Welcome Interstate Managers by Fountains of Wayne features the song Fire Island. The Village People have the song Fire Island on their debut album. Patricia Neal Warren locates part of her 1974 best-selling novel The Front Runner on Fire Island. Fire Island also serves dual meanings as both a vacation destination and a homoerotic euphemism in Dress Your Family in Corduroy and Denim by David Sedaris. The novel Anti-Mame by Patrick Dennis uses Fire Island as a reference to emphasize the eponymous characters being able to keep queer company. Fire Island is repeatedly referenced on Will and Grace. Uh, There was a documentary called When Ocean Meets the Sky in 2003. A feature entitled Shel Silverstein on Fire Island appeared in the August 1965 Playboy magazine with humorous quips about the gay club scene there. Fire Island is also the setting of Terrence McNally's Lips Together, Teeth Apart. The beach house in the film Longtime Companion was in the pines. And the movie ends with a fantasy sequence of everybody running onto the beach before the three remaining characters walk together. So that's why we love our beach. Long Island has a lot of culture, huh? Thanks for listening. See you next time, and as the kitties say, peace out.